and really interesting caves. Um, it was just absolutely gorgeous there. And then we also stopped at some parks where there were waterfalls that were coming down that were just beautiful. Uh, just, we hiked Rainier, not all the way to the top of Mount Rainier, but we hiked parts of Rainier. And again, it was just absolutely stunning. But there were also some dangerous things in these parks. There were also some dangerous things here. So there were signs everywhere warning us to stay on the path. Because if you get off the path, you might step on some of the wildflowers and destroy those. Or you might encounter some wildlife that you didn't intend on seeing that day, such as snakes and all that sort of stuff. And then whenever we approach like a cliff or something, maybe you've started to see signs like this about too, where they're warning visitors not to take selfies of themselves at the cliffs because people would hold up their phones and keep backing up and then they would fall off. So parks are very dangerous places. And it seemed that as we were carrying on in our trip, the danger was becoming more and more real to us. In fact, when we pulled into Yellowstone, the ranger asked if we wanted a map. We were like, yes, thank you very much. And then he handed us this bright yellow sign. And all the sign said on it was, Yellowstone is dangerous. And then it had a picture of a buffalo on it. We're like, okay, yes, Yellowstone is very dangerous. And in fact, we saw that that was true. That was the case. There are these uh, hot springs that are there that are 130 degrees. You step into those, you're not coming back out. That's a bad situation. Uh, we saw that there were, there were sort of hollow parts of the land that if you stepped on those, they might collapse. So you had to stay on the path. And then probably the most dangerous thing that we saw that we encountered Girls, do you remember this? Yeah. When yeah. Yes, yes. I, hopefully you didn't hear her rendition of it. But when we were in Yellowstone, there's a part where we were walking along the paths. And there, all of a sudden there were some men saying, you don't want to go down this path anymore. And we're like, oh, okay. We started to hear some ambulance sirens going off. Then we ventured to another part of the park, and there was a buffalo. And everyone was like, that buffalo just gored someone over there. Don't touch the buffalo. Yellowstone is a dangerous place. And we're all like, okay, yes, we understand that. But it was just interesting that in the midst of such tremendous beauty was also tremendous danger. In fact, it almost seemed as if the more beautiful the park became, the more eminent and real the danger was as well. Well, for the past several months, we've been going through, I'm sorry, for the past several months, we've been going through Mark's gospel, and there have been some beautiful moments of God's grace throughout the story. There have been some beautiful moments of grace there. Jesus is healing the sick, the lame, the blind. He's teaching his followers about the kingdom of God and it coming, and he's even raised a girl from death into life. But as the story unfolds, these glorious events keep coming and coming. It seems as if the danger that is on Jesus' life and the danger that's over his followers' life keeps increasing and getting bad as well and worse. Jesus' family is frustrated by him. Uh, John the Baptist had just been captured and beheaded. 
religious leaders are threatening to kill Jesus himself. Now, if you were here last week and heard Josh preach, you saw how these tensions were getting insanely high. So Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And then what happens after that? Well, the people want to enthrone Jesus. They want to make him the king. And this puts Jesus in tremendous danger, right? Because this is, this is not in accordance with Jesus' plan to eventually go to Jerusalem, to the cross. To become king in general is the exact opposite of what Jesus wants. So today's passage picks up right where the story left off from last week. What we see here is Jesus sort of sensing the danger that's around him. He sends the disciples out into the, the boat to cross the sea. And then he himself, he also dis, uh, disperses the crowds that are there. And then Jesus kind of goes up to a mountain in order to recoup, in order to spend time with the Father in prayer. And it's interesting, throughout Mark's gospel, whenever we see Jesus going to, sort of secluding himself in prayer, it's always in the midst of some sort of crisis event or in anticipation of a crisis event. And so what we see here is a crisis is happening and Jesus sends off the disciples and he goes up the mountain to pray. Well, towards evening time, Jesus sees that the disciples are still in danger. In fact, they're out on the lake and things are only getting worse for them. The wind is going against them. No doubt they're exhausted by this, of paddling and, and uh, paddling against the wind literally all night long. Well, there's real danger that's here. You know, imagine being in that boat with them, you know, 2,000 years ago. You know, now, today, you get in a boat, and there's life jackets, there's buoys. You know, usually there's like a life... Um, a lifeguard on duty and things like that. That's not the case here. Here, there's no life jackets in the boat. If you fall in the water, especially in the middle of the night, you don't know if you're going to be found again. It's absolutely dark out, and it'd be really hard for people to see you beneath the waves, right? Swimming all the way back to shore would be completely life-threatening. But it's in the midst of this danger that Jesus decides to make himself known. And what does Jesus do? He comes down the mountain and he walks on the sea, walks on the water across to the disciples. And this is kind of a confusing passage. Did you hear when it says, when, when Mark says that Jesus meant to pass by the disciples? Have you ever wondered, like, why would Jesus do that? Is he ignoring them? Is, is he trying to trick the disciples? Is this some sort of test? Or maybe Jesus is just doing some, like, moonwalk, but on the sea, right? He's like, hey, I'm Jesus. Look what I can do. I can walk on water. No, that's not what's happening here. Jesus is not showing off. Do you remember in the Old Testament when Moses asks to see God and to see his glory? And what does, how does God respond? He puts Moses into a cliff on the side of a mountain, and he says to him, I'm going to make my glory pass by you. I want to reveal a glimpse of my glory to you, and I'm going to pass by you. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that word for pass by is the same word that's used here in Mark. So what's happening here is Jesus is coming to pass by the disciples, not in an act of trickery or judgment, but in an act of revealing himself, an act of grace, 
an act of love and encouragement. And a part of this is by walking on the water. Have you ever seen anyone do that before? Have you ever seen anyone walk on water before? Who alone tramples on the waves of the sea but the Lord, says Job. Your way was over the sea and your footprints were unseen, says the psalmist. See, according to the Old Testament scriptures, it's only God who can walk on water. And what's so special about water anyway? Well, in the ancient world, water was terrifying. Water was chaos. Water was uncontrollable. You don't know what's underneath the waves of the sea. And you don't know how deep it is. You don't know how far it is. Water is chaos. And yet it is God who contains it. God establishes the land apart from the water. With water, God judges the earth. Through water, he rescues his people from slavery. From the water, he appointed a great fish to redirect his prophet. Water is chaos, but it is controlled by the Lord. He tramples the waves of the sea underfoot. And when he finds his people, when he finds his friends in the boat who are exhausted, who are also terrified, they think they just saw a ghost, what does Jesus say to them? What does Jesus say to them? He says, take heart. Take heart. It is I. I am here. It's me, says Jesus. Do not be afraid. Now again, this is the standard response of the Lord Almighty when he reveals himself to the people. He tells them, do not be afraid. I am with you. So if you can't tell, on surface level, this is kind of a confusing passage. But if you look at it, everything in this passage is screaming out, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And the disciples, the scriptures tells us, the disciples are utterly astounded. But sadly, they still don't get it. They're shocked, but they still don't get it. Maybe you've been in that situation before, being shocked, but not understanding. And who can blame them, right? I think sometimes it's easy for us living 2,000 years later to blame the apostles, to blame them and, and to sort of mock them. Like, he's walking on water. Didn't you know what's going on here? But they have no categories for this stuff. This is completely shocking to them. I think it's easier for us to see ourselves as being in the boat in our confusion and shock. But the non-understanding of the disciples is not a place to remain. In fact, that is probably the greatest danger of this passage. The real danger isn't falling over the edge of the boat without a life jacket. The real danger is walking with Jesus, of being so close to Jesus day in and day out, and still not understanding who he is. And do you know what's even scarier than that? This is dangerous for us, too. This passage is inviting us to ask the question, am I paying attention here? Do I see what's going on through Jesus' ministry? The disciples don't get it. Maybe I'm not getting it either. You see, Jesus isn't just working miracles to draw attention to himself. He didn't come just to seek power. In fact, he's not too crazy at drawing a lot of attention, right? And much to the disappointment of some of the Jews who were there, he didn't even come to liberate the Jews from Roman oppression. 
No, Jesus is much, much more than that. You see, Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is the king of all creation, returning to claim his territory, to reclaim that which is his, to restore the world back into himself. In fact, N.T. Wright says this, Ever since the time in the garden with the beasts in the wilderness, Jesus is striding the garden, putting things into right order. And that's what we see in this passage. The king is showing us what it's like to be truly human, to be truly human. You know, perhaps for individuals who've never sinned, who never fell, and are full of the Spirit, maybe for those kinds of individuals, there is this kind of mastery over creation. Maybe there is a sense in which they take the chaos that is around them and they trample it underfoot. Maybe walking on water is entirely normal for human beings. And maybe, maybe this is a glimpse of what we can expect in the new creation. What if everyone was meant to walk on water, right? That's kind of cool to think about, right, kids? (laughs) Well, maybe you caught a little bit of a hint of this from our reading in Ephesians. When Paul says in his letter to the church, do not be tossed to and fro by the waves of this world, but rather speak the truth in love. And earlier in that passage, he says, Walk in a manner that is worthy of your calling in Christ. Walk as Christ's walk is what Paul is telling us. And that is a constant theme for Paul in all of his letters. So I wonder, as those who have passed through the waters of baptism, waters that pronounce death to self and new life in Christ, maybe there is an element of walking on the water that we can experience now by speaking truth and love to our neighbors and to ourselves, by walking as Christ's walk. So there are two uh, important people in my life who have recently passed away in the past couple weeks. Uh, One of them is my Uncle Harold, who actually lives in Seattle. And so we were able to, to see Uncle Harold before he passed. My girls were able to meet him. But Uncle Harold is a hero in my life. Yes, that was a hand raise of all those who've met Uncle Harold. (laughs) Oh, a thumbs up. Great, great. We love Uncle Harold in our family. And I remember being my daughter's age and going and visiting Uncle Harold and and him walking across the beaches in Seattle and we'd see little spurts coming out of the water and we'd dig up clams and then we'd throw all the clams in a bucket, take them back. Uh, he would teach us all these sorts of fun games and stuff with these wooden pieces. I remember discussing the Bible with him and sometimes arguing at points about things because, you know, as a young teenager, I knew so much about the Bible, right? He even took me and some of my cousins out on this watercolor trip uh, out in the Cascade Mountains, which as a teenage boy, that wasn't totally the most cool thing I could think of, but it was just time to spend with Uncle Harold and just talk and chat. It was wonderful. When our family was in a very dire situation, he flew my mom out and he gave her some awesome business advice, which she immediately implemented. And this set her on a very good path. So again, Uncle Harold is a hero in our life. 
And I remember this last, or a couple weeks ago, telling one of my cousins about this, because he didn't know the story of how Uncle Harold really rescued our family. And my cousin said, well, that doesn't surprise me at all. That's definitely something that Harold would do. That's totally the thing that he does all the time. Another person uh, we know from our time, we went to church uh, with Ann Murphy in Alabama. And Ann Murphy was uh, in her 90s as well, a lot like Uncle Harold. And she led this women's Bible study for the women in our church out of our living room. And the room was always full. I I would sneak in and kind of look every now and then because I wanted to catch some glimpses of what Miss Ann was talking about. The room was always full with women who wanted to hear Ann explain the scriptures to them. All of Miss Ann's kids had grown up to love the Lord, and they were doing amazing things. Uh, If you've heard of the Anglican Mission in America, it was Chuck Murphy, Ann's son, who started that. And uh, Molly, she remembers asking Miss Ann a question like, how did all of your kids grow up loving the Lord like this? And Ann said, oh, as we would go on walks, I would just point out how beautiful the butterflies are to my children. You know, very simple things, right? Not that that's a formula, obviously. (laughs) But just this beautiful, grace-filled answer. And then Molly also asked her at one point, don't you feel like you've learned everything? You know, you're, you're in your 90s, Anne. Like, do you feel like there's anything else to learn? And she just laughed. She said, oh, the depths of the Lord are, are always deeper. You can always learn more about the Lord and his scriptures. Miss Anne had a voice of gold. You see, these individuals, Uncle Harold and Miss Anne, these are individuals who've spent decades walking with Jesus. And when I'm exhausted and I'm being tossed by the waves of the world, when I feel like I've been rowing and rowing and rowing, and I look across at the shoreline to see kind of how far I'm going, and I see that I'm actually being pushed by the winds backwards, it's people like Harold and Anne who I want to go to, and I want to sit under, and I want to talk to. These are people who can look me in the eye and say, take heart, Jesus is with you. Take heart. And you know what? I believe it when they say that because I look at their lives and they have lived it. They have lived it. Friends, the world is a dangerous, dangerous place. There are so many pitfalls out there. Uh, There's more than just bison that are out there who don't want us to get too close, right? But my prayer, my hope is that for us here at Restoration, that we are so in love with Christ, that we are so full of His Spirit, that we are walking with Him, that even this, the, the things that, that are impossible, that the laws of physics seem to be bent when people come into the sanctuary, right? Where the bouquet of the Spirit is so strong that we know that Christ is present. Where we come here and where we can take heart because I am sitting on the throne and that he is with us. Jesus the King who descended from the mountain has walked across the waves and climbed into the boat with us. And that should allow us to take great heart. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. King Jesus, you are mysterious. You are powerful. And we can spend our entire, we will, we hope to, we hope to spend our entire lives learning more about who you are. Thank you, Lord, for not staying on that mountain, but coming down to trampling over the chaos of life and climbing into the boat with us. Lord, thank you. 
May we be vessels of your spirit wherever we may go. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.